0: everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of NUMFET Alumni. This is a bit of a new format we're experimenting with where it's going to be a two-part special focusing on the Met Gala and the theme, which is Carl Lagerfeld. A
1: line of beauty.
0: Yeah, a line of beauty. So in this first part, we're just going to talk about some research we've done on Carl and his impact and we're going to try to avoid the big picture historical narrative because you're probably going to get a lot of coverage on that from historical institutions such as vogue and such but we are going to talk about some really interesting findings that we've encountered that will perhaps sketch a portrait of carl and help you understand his fashion core vibe this
2: is like a psychological study of carl it actually is quirks you know Yeah, he's got a very unique mindset that I think is very German and also very fashion in a way that's quintessential of the period, like his relationship with Helmut Newton, the German invasion, as Alexi called it, I feel like really encapsulates his psychotic mental state. Yeah, R.I.P. Carl, first of all.
0: And we know like controversies
1: about him exist but I don't, maybe I should just cut that out we don't need to address <laughs> actually I think we can address the controversies I actually think that's really interesting because they're so well documented you know his comments about not liking heavier people ugly people people in sweatpants but like I think that's actually such an interesting point for the Met Gala this year because it almost seems like it's really a, a moot point to debate his character like capacity for empathy at this point but like the TikTok teens Are still all over this. They are actually going to go to the Met and like protest. I feel. Yeah, this is possible.
2: Do you guys remember when Carl did that feminist protest as like one of his last? Yeah, I was
1: looking at it today. That was Mm -hmm. one of the signs said, "Why can't men get pregnant yet?" Like it was like it was actually (laughs) the signs that were crazy. I also, on this note, of little artifacts of Carl. Carl's cuntiness I mean not actually but like obviously Cara Delevingne's been having a really hard past couple years and I saw a bunch of edits of them too because she was famously one of his last great muses and all the comments were like she hasn't been the same since he died
2: it's true yeah she needed a Kaiser to yeah I mean she's she's like
1: a a British aristocrat so
2: Yeah, she needed the German seriousness Mm, to kind of like straighten her out, you know? And
0: Carl literally has an aristocracy fetish. He had this boyfriend named Jacques de Bascher, who was a French dandy and his companion, but allegedly they never had sex. But one of the reasons Carl was so fond of him was because he was an aristocrat and they both shared a love for genealogy and titles and would just get really obsessed with their family trees and history and stuff. So maybe that's part of the reason why his affinity for Kara...
2: This is true, yeah, because Kara has an incredible genealogy. And I think it's funny that his boyfriend or whatever was described as a dandy. Like, he did nothing in his life but be dandy-like. And Carl, this is something we might get into later, but I think Carl has this asexuality that I think is really interesting. He mentions never touching the love of his life, never engaging in any sexual contact. And I don't think Carl is sexless. I just think he's totally asexual or paraphilic. He has this really fetishistic way of looking at objects and architecture and the mise-en-scene of his general lifestyle. I think he he sexualizes objects more than he could ever sexualize human beings, which I think is also very I don't know if it's very German, but I think it's very similar to Helmut Newton, who was like a friend of his.
0: Yeah. He was also quite vibe-sexual. Like He always talks about his compulsions or really strong desires for certain aesthetics. And so I think he channeled what would have been sexual energy into his work. He was famously a workaholic. He... Also led a really abstinent lifestyle, not only from sex, but drugs, drinking. So yeah, work was his fetish, which is very stereotypically German. I read a really crazy...
1: <laughs> well, I didn't actually read this. I listened to a really crazy theory earlier today that Carl didn't have sex in the 80s and on because he like didn't want to die from AIDS. Like... Yeah, because he, I'll have to put this in the show notes. I believe it was on the, maybe the Vogue podcast or the the Cuts podcast produced on Carl after his death in 2019. But the person talking about it said that his demographic was like exactly the type of person that was wiped out by AIDS in the 80s. Yeah,
2: like very stylish, fashionable, and um, sexy people. But actually, maybe,
1: you know, his rigidness around sex may have had something to do with him not having that fate
0: he was definitely deeply i mean in that sense defensive but also in his personal life he was really defensive and quite paranoid there are a lot of anecdotes about i mean he was like bullied as a kid because he was always so different but even in the 70s when he'd made a name for himself it was really common for people to like mock his mannerisms and his style and It actually happened with a lot of his close friends where he would overhear them making fun of him at a cafe or something, and he would get really pissed off and like cut them out of his life completely. Why did they do that?
1: Because he was quirky?
0: Yeah, they would mock. He would have this habit of licking his lips all the time and just like, yeah, (laughs) just like that. But also the love of his life died of AIDS and Mm. he was by his side the whole time and had a cot in like his hospital room and he also had this thing where he would never go to funerals but i think jack's funeral he like organized the whole thing and and went to it of course
2: yeah i saw a rumor and this is just a rumor no one's confirmed this but the tabloids after carl's death were saying that he kept part of his lover's ashes and kind of asked them to like mix his ashes in with his lover's ashes like he had been keeping them since like the 70s and 80s and stuff which is really sad he was deeply affected by this loss.
0: Yeah. He also kind of lived through Jacques because Jacques would throw these sex parties and was just always out and about on the town, but Carl didn't want to hear about it. And one kind of important, I think, aspect of Carl's of legacy is his rivalry with Yves Saint-Laurent. They had a lot of similarities and they started off as friends. They were only a few years apart and both won this Woolmark competition when... Yves was I think 18 and Carl was 21 and it kind of like put them on the map at the same time and they were both gay they both came from backgrounds not close to Paris and so they were outsiders but there was this strange love triangle where Jacques who is a love of Carl's life Yves Saint Laurent had an affair with Jacques and it involves some kind of fucked up dynamic where Jacques would lock him in a closet in some kind of BDSM way, but also Yves was really like in the throes of his addiction. And his partner, Pierre Berger, who was also his business partner, saw this as a calculated attempt by Carl and Jacques to destabilize the Waisel Maison. And so they had this spy versus spy fashion dynamic where they always thought that
1: they were I out to get each other. Espionage. I love sexual espionage. I know,
0: yeah. It was like a love quadrangle. It, it kind of emphasizes image that people had of... Carl is this calculating outsider who was almost computer-like in his execution of things, even in his social life.
2: Well, speaking of the calculated aspect of Carl, I would love to kind of go into his self-image and his countenance. I think if anything is calculated about Carl, it's the way that he presents himself. And I think very intelligently, a lot of articles that I was reading on Carl pointed out how he almost edited himself to become a logo like a living logo he had this black and white aesthetic and his side profile was almost like a cameo and so he really like edited himself so heavily to become a living breathing logo of himself and he would always describe the way that he dressed as a mask he would always say how like the carnival of venice was year-round for him because He would always be wearing a mask. And it's like, yeah, like an an emojification, as Alexi called it. It's very much something that I think was unique for someone of his time. I think nowadays, with the way that advertising and branding has transformed, this is a more common thing. But Carl was really like the trailblazer in turning oneself into a brand.
1: share some thinking around that. So this happening in the context of Chanel is super interesting because... Coco Chanel was the first of a type of designer for sure because she really represented in her own self like a certain lifestyle that women could aspire to and she was also really good at self-branding in the same way that Carl was. She even went so far as to create one of the first kind of famous fashion perfumes Coco Chanel so that like women could not wear Chanel clothes they could wear Chanel perfume and really Body that her as a designer as a person but on, in terms of Carl like there's this great robin given article for washington post after his death and it talks about how he really did invent a new kind of designer. he i'm just going to i'm just going to read from it he invented a new kind of designer one who applied his talents to a host of endeavors others tried to follow in his path they tried to emulate his capacity to design for multiple brands simultaneously mostly those other designers failed to distinguish one company from the other or they simply exhausted themselves. Lagerfeld made it look easy, but even he sometimes fell short. Chanel always was where he shined brightest. Fendi sometimes felt like an afterthought, but just when it seemed he'd lost his footing, he'd come roaring back with creative verve. And then of himself, he said in 2006, I see myself as a hardworking professional person, but in another way, I'm lucky that I can use myself as a kind of puppet, which I think is so interesting. He really is this...
2: Funko Pop version of himself um Mm -hmm. it's true and he famously was Funko Popped by Tokidoki I mean and and that's a lot of the articles that were mourning him when he passed away were saying how sometimes you would be like in an Uber or a taxi and someone would have like a Carl Lockerfeld shaped air freshener hanging from their car mirror you know or something like that it's just he's such a brand in himself that It's hard to distinguish Chanel from him now. I just don't see how Chanel could survive without a person of equal branding capacity as Carl and Coco, you know?
0: Yeah. This was another thing too, is that a part of his legacy or perhaps a criticism is that he was more of a design mercenary or kind of a gun for hire, which ironically is also what Helmut Newton called himself in reference to like all the magazines that he shot for. And His first attempt at doing an eponymous label folded in the 90s and was kind of considered like an embarrassing failure because it didn't take off and was like losing a lot of money despite his great successes at all of these couture houses. But also something about his design sensibility, his affinity for early modernism made me realize that he seemed to be way more interested in the content of fashion. So like prints and embellishments and textures than the form, which... In the narrative of fashion history and people who were on the avant-garde, they usually are remembered for innovations in silhouette and volume. But that's ironically not something that he seemed to be very fascinated by. His self-emotification, this two-dimensional image that he created of himself was kind of in line with that to me. And it became the... That silhouette of his side profile became a trademark for his eponymous brand. And one crazy thing too is that... He made t shirts with his name on them in the early 1970s, (laughs) which is like so ahead of his time because we think of fashion t shirts to be really gauche and kind of like a modern innovation. And yeah, people think of his brand now as like a hugely embarrassing sellout. And even when you look up Karl Lagerfeld, you see all this kind of cringe, like fashion core black and white stuff that's just really heavily branded on any type of merchandise you can imagine. But it's honestly really consistent with his overall narrative he was also the first designer to do an H&M collaboration
2: oh yeah something about him he just does revel in how people think certain things he does are tacky I think especially you know there's all these quotes of him saying that fashion true style is feeling the comfort of a t-shirt when you're wearing an elegant dress and he really like doesn't distinguish high and low culture as much as you would think he does because he's such a like over the top almost like villainous cartoonish fashion guy um which I think he probably did inspire a lot of Pixar villains just the way that like he is I feel like it did inspire a lot of like cartoony depictions of like an evil villain but I think part of that decadence and that revelry and high-minded extreme over-the-top aesthetics came from his love for like specific eras in like the Baroque time. There is a anecdote that I found really interesting about Carl that as a child he experienced this transformative epiphany when he witnessed a painting. It was a painting of Frederick the Great and different articles cite different paintings. One of them cites Frederick the Great playing the flute by Menzel. The other one cites Frederick the Great meeting Voltaire by Louis Bombled. What Carl said is while witnessing this he realized that this is like what he wanted his life to be because it was this grand painting of the ambiance and this like over-the-top like ridiculous party and one of the reasons why he was made fun of as a kid is because he would ask kids to call him your majesty like he was obsessed with this like aristocratic fantasy and I think that's kind of why he was so obsessed with like branding like there's someone something almost like fascistic about it or something like he just like wants to leave his mark super explicitly on everything almost like a graffiti or something like that you know this like impulse to paste your name across the world i don't know if fascistic is the right word because I, I feel like that's kind of loaded when you're talking about carl but um <laughs> like person, though. he's very loaded yeah that's well, true um, but he's also so
0: paradoxical because i mean there are all of these quotes of him being so gatekeepy I guess or just saying things that were really extreme in regards to fashion but obviously he was such a workaholic that he would put his hand in anything and he even designed anonymously which is kind of crazy to think Mm. about and there are still probably tons of works that he designed that he didn't even take credit for there's a quote in this book that I read that said by 1977 he was designing for Chloe in Paris and Fendi in Rome had 30 car Lagerfeld licenses in Japan Plus an Eve Stillman lingerie line in the US, licenses for sunglasses, and a porcelain china collection for Hutchenreuter. He was also responsible for a stack of collections that he had designed anonymously, including multiple fashion lines in Germany. These are just the collections Carl was prepared to talk about. There's always been a large amount of secrecy and unknown concerning the exact nature of his employment commitments and their financial reward. So even though he has this like impenetrable exterior, he was also known to be quite accessible. Like he would meet with anyone in like the 70s and 80s there are a lot of stories in this book that I read called The Beautiful Fall that's about Paris in the 70s and the fashion industry then of these young upstart designers who just like moved to Paris with like nothing except a few sketches He would meet with them and for hours and like take Mm. them super seriously and he was I guess yeah had this weird mix of like seeming like this hard shell of a person but also being actually so obsessed with working that he would just not discriminate in that department.
2: It's very Kanye of him. Yeah, he was, yeah, it's true. It's like mad genius. Yeah, vibes. I think
1: he was just a really fickle person in general. In Andre Leon Talley's book, The Chiffon Trenches, he talks a lot about their relationship throughout the decades, personally and professionally. So I'd like recommend anyone read that. I guess in general, but also to learn more about Carl from someone who worked with him. But yeah, he did a lot of crazy stuff in terms of uh, being quite volatile volatile towards people. Like, Tina Chow asked him for money for, I think, a memorial for someone, or kind of like a quite an honorable cause to, yeah, for for someone who needed it, and he, like, uh, never spoke to her again. And then she died. Um, yeah, oh and then I... He, Andre Ligantali and Carl had a very similar falling out where he also asked Carl for money for a similar kind of like a respectable cause. And then Carl never spoke to him again.
2: So... Wow. Don't ask Carl for money.
1: But you could ask him for
0: time. I feel like, you know, that is invaluable. He kind of did like to sit on money. This was the thing. Because like Jacques, his boyfriend or whatever, would blow through money like crazy and Carl was very generous with him and, like, supported that. But, like, didn't really, like, spending that much of his own money. Except on his, like, hoarderly things, I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah. I wanted to get into his, like, hoarder sensibilities. Because, like, I think he just had a really strange relationship with materialism and material objects. Which, like, I, that's why I feel like I would diagnose him as, like, a paraphilic. When he passed away and they were going through all of his worldly possessions. I mean, it was just an enormous amount of stuff. There is one man who was in charge of organizing his estate and he said that he went in one of his houses and opened a drawer and there was 500 iphones in that drawer like he just like could not stop buying iphones and he was just like obsessed with buying ipods like he couldn't stop buying things so i'm like maybe he was kind of broke from like putting all of his money in, like, actual objects, you know? Like, he was just obsessed with being a hoarder. Yeah,
1: But I think he definitely, like, had an extreme problem. Not extreme problem, but he was a hoarder, you're right. Like, there's in a promotional video that Vogue put out with Anna Wintour talking about Carl recently. She shows a picture of him, like, late in life, and he's sitting at this desk that's literally a couple feet high, covered in books, sketching pads, etc., talking about Oh, that was kind of his general way of working but then she said something really funny she was like yeah there's probably about 50 iPads in there as well and I was like what <laughs> um yeah I also read <laughs> that he was obsessed with iPods when they came out yeah. like he was obsessed with what's next and like the what is contemporary the contemporary
0: yeah that's another thing about his like another paradoxical element is that, this is from a W Mag piece about his rivalry with Yves Saint-Laurent, but they said that he received each assignment like a problem to be solved and drew up his library like knowledge of a wide range of subjects to find an artful solution. So we also had this like thing of information hoarding. Mm-hmm. And I was watching like Vogue's tribute to him, where they commissioned a bunch of designers to make pieces inspired by his work. And like some people were saying that like he was really contemporary and like not at all concerned with the past and like references and nostalgia, but I don't think that's true. Like, I think he was hugely into references, but he was also really into contemporaneity yeah. or whatever. Like, well, that's another thing. Like, he was into the latest technology, but he was also into 18th century furniture.
2: Yeah, the, there might be an answer to, to why he's like this. I read this article called "Baroque and Dung" on Carl Lagerfeld, and... It was this kind of like fashion theory article that was really dense, but interesting. And it was kind of defining Karl Lagerfeld's mindset as like a mixture of like the Baroque mindset and this mindset called Bildung, which is a German tradition of self-cultivation. And a definition of it would be like the formation of an individual personality via the unfolding of inherent abilities in connection with an acquisition of new cultural knowledge. And it's somewhat comparable to the process of becoming an existentialism. It's kind of like never-ending will to become like a renaissance man and you kind of harmonize your internal inequalities with the external world and it's just apparently a very german mindset and i think that's why he was so obsessed with like hoarding information and also just obsessed with like the future like he was just trying to like optimize himself to be like the perfect jack of all trades
0: i've also seen a yeah i've seen it described as self-exigency as well in this book that i'm reading Another funny an- anecdote from when he was a kid is that he went to like this party with his uncle that was like kind of far out somewhere near Hamburg, and they were all drinking beer because this is like in Germany post-war years. And then someone offers him a beer, and he's like, "I only drink champagne." And then it literally became like a, a city-wide rumor about him, and like everyone mocked <sighs> him. Stop! They have to let
1: him live. Oh my god! I know. Yeah, I there's a really powerful quote from him on this issue of his obsession with the contemporary. Uh, once again, from that Robin Given article. If there's something I don't like or don't understand, I say it's my problem, not the problem of the times. I have to adapt to it. I have to find my niche in the moment that's going on. That's so humble to me. Like It's mm-hmm. really... He really does contain multiple Yeah, categories. I think yeah. this also... It's not that he was a culture vulture, because he wasn't, but I think there became this, like, strange moment when he was in his older age of him just becoming, you know, still obsessed with every passing it girl that, you know, like, we all (laughs) saw him, like, with Lily Rose Depp when she had not graduated high school and stuff like that, but obviously he, like, identified
2: this special quality that she has, uh... Yeah, I think it's because he sees them as like trinkets almost like he's he's collecting them like he collects his trinkets, I think. I think that's very essential to him. Like he like his obsession with Jacques, his lover, like he loved the, how he presented himself and he loved his his general vibe and look. Um, so he was almost like this, amused in the same way that Kara and Lily were, right? I think. I yeah.
0: Also, a take that I've seen about Jacques is that you know, he didn't actually do anything. Like he wasn't a designer. He wasn't a writer, but what he had seemingly an endless supply of was youth and beauty, which is what the fashion industry needs to go around. So I think that's kind of his relationship to muses as well. Mm -hmm. Another quote in reference to this by Carl is that he said, I'm a Calvinist towards myself and totally indulgent towards others. So I think when he saw others that were capable of like creating this, I don't know, beautiful, beautiful, fantasy life of indulgence like he was really into p- patronizing them <laughs> what else uh, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot mostly because on Friday I was low-key like at a table next to Anna Wintour at Balthazar ah. oh, and God, she I... was having dinner with Baz Luhrmann oh, and God. they both looked so insane that I was just like what the fuck like some people truly are larger than life but Also, going back in the Carl archives, I was seeing a lot of pictures of him when he was younger, and like, honestly, in some of them, he's almost unrecognizable and just looks like a bloke. Like He just was kind of random looking, but to me, it's like, there's something really powerful in fashion core about aging and becoming this, crystallizing into this perfect shell of a person, which I think Anna Wintour has also mastered, and it seems like something that the fashion industry is really into. Like, you either become this mummy of yourself before you even die or you're just like a star that burns out young and Mm -hmm. and dies tragically so i think it's really interesting how the image that we see of him is like in his old age and he also used to powder his hair which i just think is (gasps) so like i just know he was really living for that with his aristocratic um he did did it for so long
1: and even into his age where he would obviously have white hair because he was so old
2: Wait, Biz, you should get into a little bit more about fashion core oh. and like your thoughts on that because I thought that was a really good thing. Well, so we, this will be the topic of an
1: upcoming episode that I think we're all really excited about. But when we talk about Carl as a, a cartoon of himself or as so instantly recognizable in his costume and in his ways, it really ties into this idea that we've been defining as like fashion core. Which is like, what is the most fashion-y fashion thing of all time? Some examples of this are like editorials of models with like bird's nest hair that like a local photography photographer in like 2011 would try to recreate because it's like their idea of what fashion is. It has to be something that like the masses could understand as like high fashion, um, which he obviously was trying to get at that with like this stereotype of himself as always being in this like super stylized dramatic uniform uh that's like so so frivolous and dramatic to the general public it all it i guess fashion core is also zoolander and like he fits really well into this Uh to the idea of zoolander yeah he does
0: yeah Uh, i was also i went to the mugler show last weekend and they had this room where they were playing the George Michael music video with all the supermodels, what was it called? Oh, yeah. Where they're like all lip syncing and like walking down the runway wearing Google glare outfits, like the fifth element mm. that um, mm-hmm. Jean Paul Gaultier did the costumes for was also very yeah. fashion core. And
1: I think this is an interesting time to reflect on fashion core because I really do think it's a dying type in fashion, but we need more mm. of it. I was having a conversation with Mahoro and Osman, who are like the fashion features team at ID. We were talking about how there's like people who write about our work in fashion who are really into it. But then there's like a separate category of person that I like to call like having a passion for fashion. Like they have a passion for fashion and it's like a different type of person. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like that's like people like Maddie and like Perla and they're so inspiring and they really embody this type to me.
0: Yeah, we're going to have some, we're going to have some correspondence. On the yeah, fashion we need core some correspondence. Episode, but it's I also think. like,
1: Fashion Core is like Carl Lagerfeld, Carrie Bradshaw. It's just, it's like the quote of like, I didn't have enough money for food, so I bought Vogue because I thought it would feed me more. That is like, that is Fashion Core. Um, And then there's also a quote, I was reading about Andre Liantali for this episode and there was a review of his book that said, like, Tally is not a reporter. He- and like most fashion editors, he is prone to overstatement, breathtakingly stunning, and melodrama. And then he described himself in his book. This is, like, one of the best lines I've ever heard someone say in fashion. Physically, I am a huge gallon slowly sailing into harbor, <laughs> broken from so many battles. Like, that is also fashion core. That is fashion core as well. Like... Yeah, so good.
2: I feel like in the modern, d- like the last hurrah, fashion core was super depressing because I feel like it was just like Balenciaga the past few years. Like that was what fashion core was, and it was just kind of like, like the it was like we we're all going to fashion core funeral with so like bas- Balenciaga. That is, so you know, true. like we were just kind of mourning Balenciaga. Really did feel so funerary. Like it was like the death of like an era of fashion that was so vi- vibrant, vivacious, sassy like, bitchy, cuntiness to the extreme. And that's, like, the era I feel like a lot of people fell in love with fashion. And, I, I mean, I have a love for that era, and I feel like most people do. Um,
0: but- yeah, you can almost kind of track this through the facial expressions of models, because I feel like the 90s, there was this click of super, super models, of course, but also this was the advent of, like, a lot of girls are making this face where they had, like, this super high brows and, like, they were smizing and they were, like, growling, mm-hmm. kind of. So I feel like that represents the aggression of of the time. Like, it was a passion for fashion, but now models just look so dead. I sound mm-hmm. like the Sherry Hill comment yeah. section. But I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, like... We don't need to bring back models smiling, per se, but we do need to bring back them giving face. Like, hello. Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, I was also watching a Vogue video of amber Valletta, my life in looks today and she looked back on this moment of her and shalom harlow on the runway where like shalom like sassily overtakes her and they're like walking in coordination and strutting together and yeah there was a lot of them there's a lot of just like wink and nod activities that i think we look back on now and everyone just seems so embodied um compared to yeah like you know dying on the blintiographer runway
2: yeah, even, like, um, yeah, I know which one you're talking like, the Todd Oldham runways, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then just, like, Naomi Campbell, like, there's, like, a couple, oh, there's so many moments, like, one where she, I mean, she opened for Victoria's Secret in 2004, I think, and that, like, has stuck in my mind forever, like, the way, like, the movements of just, it is just so embodied, and nowadays, yeah, like, the models are almost, like, like, elves that they picked out of the ground and just, like, threw, and, like, Like, in a bunch of, like, trash bag-esque, like, clothing. And not to be, not to be, like, it can slay sometimes, it can be nice, but I just wish there was still that, like, vivaciousness and vibrancy that there once was, you know? And, like, the pretension. I, like, miss the pretension of it, you know?
1: We're going to bring it back.
2: It's it's existing. I I also think, like,
1: this was also the time of heroin chic, but I'm like, how were they, I don't know, not eating or taking drugs, but still so saucy and so vivacious. It's incredible. The it, it's a Coke girl. Like <laughs> even, like they just look so healthy at the same time when they're on their runways. Like, I don't know. It just mm.
2: Well, I do think, like, I've, I've seen a lot of models from the 90s during the and chic era, like, kind of talk about stuff. And there was this one interview I saw with a model who was, like, everyone kept saying that we were starving. But no, it's just, like, we have crazy genetics. Yeah. Like, whenever I was, like, in those, like, houses with a bunch of models, like, we were eating, like, so bad. We would eat, like, McDonald's every single day. And we just, like, would never gain a pound because, like, our genetics just, like, wouldn't allow it. We were just, like, had crazy metabolism. So, like, I think Wait. part of some people did starve themselves and some people were just born different, you know? Speaking of McDonald's, there's
0: really something going on i'll cut this out but i just looked up to see how much it would be to get mcdonald's delivered and it's twenty dollars for
1: a delivery? delivery that's not yeah way.
0: it's usually like <laughs> 99 cents i like they're what they're trying to give
1: you an yeah. eating disorder <laughs> yeah actually i like i want mcdonald's so definitely fast, but... maybe like can someone just pick it up for you my friend
0: that i was supposed to go with i know my friend i'm supposed to go with oh, just no. canceled on me so I'm like
2: no. um that's okay well, we've
1: been recording for 38 minutes Sorry, I forgot mm. to... Oh, perfect.
2: Should I we, think... like, run through some predictions? Yeah. Right
1: now? Yeah. So, yeah. obviously, guys, we can't get to the true heart of Carl Lagerfeld today because he was larger than life, and this is a wee little podcast, but we will leave some, you know, interesting interesting text for you to take a look at, and obviously the Met exhibition is coming up soon. So they'll probably also have like a really interesting body of work um, to learn more about him through. So what are you, do you guys have any predictions for the Met Gala,
2: which is in less than 24 hours? Hmm. I don't really have high expectations just because everyone has kind of sucked at like, um, I feel like what some people might try to do like this camp over the top version of like the two-piece tweed suit which is probably not really encapsulating what Carl was about um but hopefully there is some like Weinmar elements some Baroque elements like trying to encapsulate like all of Carl's different phases um but I also feel like a lot of people are going to be wearing just like the most basic slip dress of like the Chanel archive like that they can find you know so those are my two predictions like someone doing like some ridiculous campy tweed suit and then a lot of people doing really basic like slip dresses that like, are, like, the most boring part of Chanel. Um. I don't know. I feel like
0: people are going to... Chanel's a bit obvious since that's what he was known for the most, but I'm hoping to see some Fendi type of stuff. I think that was an interesting era for him. And then also Mm. his Chloe era. There's this one dress that he's really famous for called the Rachman... Rachmaninoff Mm. dress um, that has this really detailed black and white um, pattern of, like... Cut out almost of this Art Deco like triangle design with a woman and horses, and it's very cubist and pretty. So maybe something from like yeah, more of his boho times, and we're definitely gonna see a lot of like prints, 2D type stuff. But also, I hope someone comes in on like a Chanel surfboard or something. Yeah, like I want it to be. <laughs> there are so, so many great. Even though that wasn't. Many, him, I, like but. great
1: accessories from chanel like i was looking at stuff today and i stumbled across that insane bag from a few years ago which is literally like the size of a hula hoop for the handle and then there's just like a <coughs> chanel bag on it um yeah i definitely would like to see some fashion core surfacing i don't know that it will i feel like celebrities have been like kind of sucking the past couple years at giving mm-hmm. us anything i also think some people might be a bit protesty in subtle ways towards Carl's sins. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. And that, but also just the financial model of the Met Gala. I've heard that like there are a good number of houses that haven't. Even bought tables because they're like, Why am I going to attend this thing that's literally like about other brands? Oh, I
1: see. That's true. But also, that's such a that's petty so way petty. of thinking. I
0: mean, like, they had no problem doing that for like uh, Comte de Garçon. But I feel like maybe because Carl had his hand in every pie or whatever.
1: But the, the, the Met Gala funds the Costume Institute. They're being so selfish. They should hope that if know. they're funding the museum, that eventually there'll be an exhibition on their shitty designer. Um, so cool. but i also wonder if the cat will come like do you think it, like the shoe pet's gonna come
2: shoe pet shoe pet has to show up yeah i totally forgot about shoe pet but they have to like roll her out in some grand like carriage yeah. or something or she needs to have people carrying her in like a giant pillow or something i want her to wear it like to starting-
0: she was recently pictured for the latest issue of vogue with naomi campbell who was Holding her out on the street, which I was kind of surprised by. Because the rest of the models did the shoot in the Grand Palais, which is being renovated. And it's, like, this kind of weird, like, Annie Leibovitz thing where they're, like, on these grand staircases, but it's all mm. under construction. And But for some reason, Naomi was, like, out on the street holding Chupette. But maybe she was having a diva moment. They both were.
2: Yeah, I think they were both having diva moments of, like, they don't want Chupette to go all the way up there, and Naomi doesn't want to go there either.
0: Yeah, she could um. fall on, or, like, a piece of Never plywood f- could fall on her. But Chanel is also sponsoring the um, restructuring or renovation of the Grand Palais, so it's all a big
1: oh. PR thing. Wow. I want not Choupette sad. to give a speech. I really feel like I- she's not nice, like, as a cat. I like her vibe, and I like that Carl wanted to marry her famously, but, like, <laughs> I don't know if I trust her, and I don't think Naomi Campbell trusts her either. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, she should definitely come. I mean, when the queen died, the corgis attended the funeral, oh, which that's is like true. really yeah.
2: sad. No, I mean, Chupette has her own private jet. I'm pretty sure, like she has her own plane, I feel like so she can.
1: Could... Had to take that from her by now. I feel like people have tried, probably tried to like put a stake in her fortune.
2: I think like he was very clear in his will about her treatment, because like she still has her Instagram and they update all the time, and she's always like, "Papa, <laughs> I miss you." Like, you know,
0: like there's actually a tea on that. Someone, someone who's completely unaffiliated is running that account and. <gasps> Is
2: it?
0: Yeah, and they're, like, we're running out of pictures of Shoe to post, so... Oh I don't God. know. Maybe there's someone feeding them new Shupat Pat pics.
2: Dude, what if she it's... put isn't even alive anymore? Like, she has no. to be.
0: She is. Oh, my God. She's actually so cute.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, I was at a hotel the other day. It's called the Zaza in downtown Austin, and Zaza. they just had, like... Yeah, the hotel Zaza and like at the bar upstairs at that hotel, they just have only like Annie Leibovitz photos pasted all around the walls and like framed. It's like an Annie Leibovitz themed bar, and like they have a giant like underage Miley Cyrus framed like above oh. the bar. It's giving like super strange vibes. Like I was like, wasn't she like fifteen in this photo? Like I don't know why this is like huge and framed above this like bar. But um That's- yeah, I recommend recommend visiting if y'all are in Austin. You should Zaza. Get it shut down. <laughs> you should shut down. But
1: also, yeah. You know we don't have to get into it, together, but God, she was completely young in that picture. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, we will be returning at some point tomorrow to discuss our thoughts on what actually happens at the Carl Lagerfeld themed Met Met Gala. Um, I'm pretty excited to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. I think because it does have this fashion court angle, I just I just love that. Same. Yeah,
0: it's too. gonna be a movie it's gonna be a movie in black and white
1: mm-hmm. i hope he's like ghost comms to it because he's so ghostly mm-hmm. yeah
0: did you do, like a tupac hologram type thing oh,
1: that'd be so cool <laughs> and like he can speak like german accented english oh yeah. my god german
0: accented uh, french was this thing i think
1: oh, epic he was yeah. he was like oh, i guess he's probably spoke a lot of languages
2: yeah he did yeah he said he spoke three before the age of five but he also lied a lot about his upbringing so i don't know if that's true we well, probably also spelled cat. Yeah, we <laughs> not <meow>. definitely.
1: Um, <laughs> okay, well talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs> bye bye mm, Meow meow. Adieu. Meow meow.